very good morning and a very happy Sabbath to all of you. As that church exists for this great city of Singapore to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ that would involve our personal conversion, involve our care and community for this transformation, to bring also cultural and spiritual renewal to the folks right here. But this morning, I have a question for you. Has the gospel that we often preach, share and talk about, has the gospel impacted us significantly in the breadth and depths of our hearts? Has it changed your life? Not just on your Sabbath school discussions, not just on some mere conversations, but has it truly impacted, affected your life on every level? So this morning, we're going to do some Bible study based on Galatians chapter 2. You know, it's interesting because there is a description about Adolf Hitler. And it says about him, it says that he made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessings of the Almighty and the Christian confessions which would become the pillars of the new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. He showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew the strength from his great work from it as scores of pious people welcomed him as a man sent from God. Interesting. This is a description of a Duvila who was a master of outward religiosity, but with no inward reality. Is it possible that what is mentioned about Hitler, a Hitler, in some similar ways and fashion, can be describing ourselves? How has the gospel affected your life? So this morning, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, because we're going to cover the heart of the gospel, the centrality of the gospel, and the power of the gospel. I, I think you've you got to understand, uh, there are several churches in the area of Galatia. And here, Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia. And he is not writing to non-believers. He is not writing to those who have no experience in the salvation of Jesus Christ. He's specifically writing to the Christians in Galatia. So turn with me to Galatia chapter 2. Because right there, there is a tension in the church um, between the circumcision group and so-called Paul's group. Now, I, I don't know, you, you, you hear this word often discussed in, uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist church. But often in our Sabbath school quarterlies, uh, in our discussion, we always talk about the word justification, right? Big word. What does it mean? To be justified basically means to be right with God. It is an act of God. It is God that declares you to be free. It is God that says that now you are perfect in the eyes of God. It is a 
legal act by God. So the source of justification is determined by God. The act of justification is performed by God. And the fruit of justification is produced by God. So to be justified basically means that you are now seen as a perfect individual in the eyes of God. As much as you are still battling with your sinful nature. So to be justified means to be declared free. But if you read through Galatians, there is, is a struggle here. Because uh, many Christians would, would battle with this understanding. A person is not justified by works of the law. Now, you may try to be the best you can be. You might try to keep the commandments and you may be in church all these times. But yet, you could never save yourself. Right? We, we say, Pastor, I understand that. Yes. Okay, just hold on with me. And so Paul says that we are only justified through faith in Christ Jesus. But in Galatians 2, there is an order here. Two orders actually to be uh, clear. First, you have the circumcision group. Who are they? They are Jewish Christians who have all paradigms, all cultural experiences. And now they are Christians in the early church formation. And they belong to this order. And then you have the other Paul's belief. Now what is this circumcision group order? It's very simple. It's basically believe in Jesus Christ, keep the law of God the best you can, and you'll be safe. Paul's belief in Galatians 2 says, believe in Jesus Christ, at that moment you are safe, and then you go on delightfully to keep the law of God. The argument in Galatians chapter 2 is not about whether Jesus is the Son of God. It's not about that. But you say, Pastor, uh, they look the same, isn't it? Almost the same. Well, the ordinary religious approach is that you obey in order to be safe. But the gospel says that you are safe and therefore you obey. So which order defines you? The first order, if I obey the laws of God, I'll be accepted by God. The other order is that because I'm fully accepted and loved by God in Christ Jesus, therefore, I obey. So, the first is that you obey God, therefore you're accepted. The other order, you're accepted, then you obey God. But you say, but both of them are obeying God, isn't it? Uh, both of them are reading the Bible. Both of them are praying. Both of them are in church today. I want to share with you. They may seem to be similar, but they are radically different. They will be in radically different ways, out of radically different motivations, with two radically different effects. Let me explain. Because if you see your order or belief is obey in order to be accepted, then what happens is that your obedience is anxious and selfish. Why anxious? Because you're never quite sure you're doing enough. You pass the mark. You, you are good enough. You have reached the, the requirements. So you're always striving. 
you're always working. You're always feeling insecure spiritually. Selfish because you might be caring for the poor, you might be serving in church, you might be doing lots of stuff, but you are trying to get something. You're trying to get the approval from God in order to recognize your, your self-being. And, and so, the motive becomes very anxious and self-centered. But in the second order, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have gotten already everything. You got love. You got a guaranteed future. You got it all. And now you obey Him out of joy, out of love. And the fullness of God's grace in your heart. And you ask the question, am I delight to follow His will? Am I able to do whatever that pleases Him? You know, in a marriage relationship, it's the same way. Do you do this in order to be accepted and loved by your spouse? Or because you have been so loved by your spouse and all your acts of love is a result of that secure relationship. And, and that is why you may be doing the same thing. But one is out of the overwhelming joy and the fullness of the heart. The other one is out of anxiety and the emptiness of the heart. So most people go to church, have the order of the circumcision mind. Uh, I believe, I obey, then I will be safe. For, for the circumcision mindset, is important because you constantly need to think that I am a good person. Otherwise, God is not going to bless me. So, on the other hand, if you believe, save, and then willingly obey, the motivational structure comes from a heart that is full of a desire to do the will of God. So, two people can sit in the same church next to each other. They read the Bible every morning, uh, they pray, they sing, they both worship, and they believe in Jesus Christ fully. They, they apparently look to be doing the same thing. But Paul is saying that they are doing from radically different reasons, out of radically different motives, with radically different results in their life. You see, if you obey in order to be accepted, the result will be self-righteousness, self-exorption, at times ang anger, and always fighting who is doing right, who is doing wrong, versus the other group, full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, you know, who serve out the fullness of God's grace in their hearts. And so, this two order it may seem similar, but they end up with radically different results. And so, Paul addresses this issue right here, right here, in Galatians chapter 2. Now, we've got to understand the, the, the backstory, the, the centrality of the gospel. Now, if you have your Bible, you turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. I would encourage you to do so. I follow the uh, tradition of your church pastor, former church pastor, uh, Pastor James Time, because uh, I think he intentionally wants you to flip to your Bible. But if you look at Galatians chapter 2, uh, it says in verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas referring to the apostle Peter. Now, who is Peter? 
He's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's an early church leader. He was there with Jesus for three and a half years. He witnessed the miracles. He, he, walked, he tried to walk on water. Remember the incident? And he tried to be, to be faithful till the end. And he said he would never betray Jesus. You know Peter. And, and here, in the church in Antioch, Paul wrote in Galatians 2.11, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Wow. I don't know, you and I would dare to say that to Apostle Peter if today he comes and join in our SDAT worship. And then, Paul says in verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, here, when they arrived, he says that he, here refers to Peter, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even... Now, this name, another popular name, well-known name, Barnabas was led astray. Can you imagine? These were early leaders of the church. And Antioch is known as the missionary centre of the first century. It sends out missionaries to all parts of Asia and Europe. And, and here, we, we have this situation. And what is the issue? Because the circumcision group, they were Jewish Christians, they still believe in the ceremonial laws. Now, you, you, you understand, uh, this is a very tense situation. Because the Apostle Paul here literally confronted the Apostle Peter. Now, this is unusual, full of tension right here in Galatians chapter 2. I mean, these two were significant heavyweight leaders in the first century of the early church. And here uh, is about the, the ceremonial laws. Because, you know, in, in the Old Testament, just an overview, you have the moral laws, uh, that is God's will for His people of all times. And then you have the civil laws. Basically, they, 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 they will change according to the circumstances is to govern the people in their daily living, with rules and regulations. And then you have the ceremonial laws. Basically, the ceremonial laws are what? Are all these laws preparing to point to the coming Messiah? So whenever they are involved in these ceremonial laws and practices, how they eat, how they dress, how they worship, is to remind themselves of the coming Messiah that they need in their lives. But unfortunately, the ceremonial laws over the years the Jews had act on many human traditions, layered power. Until the time of Jesus, it is almost impossible for a Jew to, technically speaking, to keep all the ceremonial law and to be ceremonially clean. It's almost impossible. So if you touch anything unclean, you are ceremonially unclean. And you cannot go to worship. You cannot mingle with the community. And then... Um, the, 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 the Gentiles, uh, the word Gentile means uh, non-Jew. A, a non-Jew. It becomes a, a word with a negative connotation. Perceived from the Jewish community that they are of a superior uh, race. That, that these are outcasts. These are non-deserving people. 
In fact, I, I met a Messianic rabbi who came to our church for almost uh, two, three years, periodically. And it's a Messianic Jew. Uh, it's different from the Jewish community, if you understand. Um, they believe in Jesus, uh, uh, and their mission is to minister to the other Jewish folks right here in Singapore. And he's a Messianic rabbi. He's a rabbi. He's very well scholar. He has his degrees from Yale and Harvard. You name it, it's all there. He was invited uh, by the government to here, and so on and so forth. And for two, three years, I have conversation with him. And he would use this word, we are the Messianic Jews. You are the Gentiles. <laughs> There's a differentiation. Now, he's a nice guy, he's wonderful. But his worldview is that I am a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. And somehow, in that mindset, that we are the chosen ones. And here in, in Galatians chapter 2, the, 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 the circumcision group, um, even though they have become Christians, but they're still struggling with many of these practices. So, in the ceremonial law, it's also known as the clean laws, it's extremely hard to keep. But on the other hand, they recognize that they need to do the animal sacrifices for their blood atonement, for their sins, and no matter how hard they try to make themselves clean, the ceremonial laws point to them, to, to the sacrifices. Because there is a problem. There was this holy, perfect God, and then you were flawed and unclean to go before the holy God. And there was a problem. And you could not keep yourself perfectly clean. You needed the sacrifice. So when Jesus came, He did two radical things. Number one, He was the Passover lamb. He became the ultimate sacrifice for all the sacrifices. And number two, He was the fulfillment of all the ceremonial laws. In Him, only in Jesus, you are clean. So, this is a difficult paradigm for the early Christians, especially who came from the Jewish background, to accept, to embrace. And Peter, now, did Peter know that the gospel is to all the world? Of course. Remember, he was so confused that the Lord gave him a vision in Acts chapter 10. There was this vision that he was with a lot of unclean animals. Now, that is not about diet. Huh? It's not about food. It's about what? God said that all animals are clean. It's representing, it's a metaphor that all people are valued in the eyes of God. Rich or poor, young and old. Uh, we sing the song in children's Sabbath school. The, the skin color, right? Red or yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. And, and, and Peter understands that. He, he had been with Jesus. And Jesus intentionally reached out to the Gentiles in many of his ministry, in many of the records in, in the four Gospels. But Peter pulled back when he found the pressure from the circumcision group. And even Barnabas was led astray. So what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying to Peter? I want to share with you, the, the, this, the, the, first I think we, we talk about the heart of the gospel, the centrality of the gospel. But I want to focus my last part on the power of the gospel. What did Paul tell Peter? What was the correction steps to be taken? Because you're talking about 
Peter, the Apostle Peter, he's no ordinary folk. I mean, he had witnessed all the miracles throughout his time with Jesus. In fact, he had known Jesus much earlier than the Apostle Paul, isn't it? Because Paul came in much later in the picture, in the New Testament church. He was only on his way to Damascus. He was there with a mission to persecute the Christians. And then the Lord appeared to him in this bright light. And that was his dramatic conversion story. And what is Paul saying to Peter? If you look at Galatians 2.14, he says, When I saw they were not acting, keep this line, huh? this word, in line with the truth of the gospel. I say to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it that, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul says that you are out of line with the gospel. Now, how many of you play football? You play football. What, what does the referee do? When you have the ball outside the lines, right? He says, out of line, right? Outside. You, your, your ball is given to your opponent. Uh, offside, you, you know all that. You play any games, you have, you have those lines that would form the boundary. And here Paul tells Peter, you are out of line with the gospel. See, sometimes we think that, Pastor, I know, the gospel is baby steps. You know, I, I know it's for new believers, they come to know Jesus Christ, they accept the gospel, and to be safe, hold on just for a few minutes before you jump to the conclusion. Paul here is addressing to the apostle Peter and Barnabas and many of the significant leaders. Don't they know the gospel? Wouldn't their lives have been changed by the gospel? Why is he saying that to, to the apostle Peter, who now pulled back and still engulfed by the Jewish old paradigm, culturally, and both emotionally. And what Paul is saying is that, is your attitude toward work in line with the gospel? Is the way you spend your money in line with the gospel? Is your family relationships in line with the gospel? Is your sexuality in line with the gospel? Is your attitude toward the poor and the needy in line with the gospel? Is the way you deal with your past in line with the gospel? In other words, you can see that the gospel is like, sending lines. And these lines continue to be drawn further, wider, longer, deeper. So, so the gospel is not just ABCs. It's infinitely broad. It's a worldview in which the gospel sends out lines and the implications is that it impacts every level. It should impact every level of your life and my life. How we think, how we act. And the gospel is infinitely deep. When Paul says to Peter, now I mean he could have said to Peter, stop being a racist. Stop feeling superior. He didn't say that. He says, Peter, you are out of line. You're no longer in line with the gospel. Of course, Peter had been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course. But what is Paul saying? That even though this leader had been with Jesus in all the years of Jesus' ministry, he was the leader that witnessed all these miracles of God. And he led the early church. But Paul 
is saying to Peter, even though you know the gospel, but the gospel has not yet penetrated into the depths of your heart. So many of these old past practices, old paradigms, old values. Why? Because, you know, there is a constant search. There is an enduring hunt for personal value and worth. You know, sometimes people ask, what is your net worth? Uh, they don't ask me because technically, from net worth perspective, I don't worth a lot. Right? <laughs> okay? A house, a car, right? You talk about net worth. You ask the, the, the big shots, right? Those, those are very well. So what is a net worth? We measure someone's worth by what? By the dollar and cent, isn't it? That's how, that's how the world is. And you read any self-help motivational books or papers or magazines, there is this relentless, enduring hunt for personal value and worth. Because we have a desperate need to feel that we matter, that, that we need to recognize our own worth and value. So what do people do? Well, you can look down on people. You can despise other cultures and make yourself feel superior and good. Or you can strive to be very successful and anchor on your possessions, on your popularity, on the people relationships. You, you can feel that I must be involved romantically in many relationships to feel that you're desired. And so on and so forth. You know what I'm saying? And, and you're merely justifying your existence and worth. Now, for, for many of us, people may tell us to stop, stop doing, stop being a, a racist, stop having those complex attitudes, stop pursuing wealth and, and honour just to make yourself worthy and, 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 and valued. Well, I may stop for a while. You, you can shame me, you can beat me to death. But because of this relentless hunt for this desire, the behaviour may temporarily be suppressed, but they will, write, they will go back right into it after a while. Or they may find some new ways to substitute for it. And the enduring hunt for value and worth continues. And if you go back to Galatians chapter 2, the Jewish community feels that they are of higher value and worth. So my, my conversation with the Messianic Jewish rabbi is that he's of a higher value. I felt, you know, every time, oh, he, he was long-winded. I mean, he would speak for hours. But like in a conversation, I say, Pastor, can I speak to you after service? Yeah. I spoke here. Wow, for the next two, three hours, you know, even toddler break was difficult. <laughs> it was a, I realised it was a teacher teaching a student. <laughs> it wasn't a conversation. It was more of like a monologue. But, that, but, I, but I, I left Every time I left the conversation, with what? With the feeling that I'm very inferior. I'm nobody. I'm a Gentile. I, 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 I need to work harder in order to be accepted by God. I, I'm no longer the chosen one. Is it that feeling? That, that hunt for, for value and worth? But Paul said to Peter, what you need to do is, is a change to the heart because the heart needs the gospel. Because the gospel in Jesus Christ is the one that will give you the form of your personal identity, not based on a value or worth that is earned or achieved. Not based on what is received. It's not like a stock market that goes up and goes, goes down. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not based on your record 
but it's based on the record of Jesus. And, and the creator of this universe, the sustainer of your life, the redeemer of your soul, he looks at you with his pair of eyes that you matter to him. And anyway, it's only his opinion matters that really counts. And therefore, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the gospel should be the end of your constant hunt for value and worth. Because in Jesus, your worth is of infinite value. He died for you. He would risk everything for you. And, and that is why what Paul is saying to Peter, your value and worth is not because, why are you doing that? Because you are feeling more superior with, 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 with the Gentiles. Why? Because the gospel has impacted you. But there are layers. The gospel still needs its work to continually change you. No, you say, Pastor, you know what? If you, you, if, if you give me a quiz today uh, on, on, on uh, basic salvation and redemption and on these words like justification, sanctification, if you give me a quiz, I most likely will get 100%. I, I will answer them correctly. You know, I, I know I'm justified by faith in Jesus, not by works. I know that. I know that. But guess what? Deep inside, I'm still struggling with relationships. I struggle with my career. I struggle with my marriage. I struggle with money. I struggle with all these things. And my question for you this morning is this. If you have the misfortune, I say the misfortune, right? That the Apostle Paul will come into this room, come to that Church, and then he looks at each of you. He says, can I have a, a 10 or 15 minutes conversation with you? What will he say to you? Will he say that your life is out of line with the gospel? Will he say that to you? And as a result, you believe the gospel is up here. But deep down, very often the human nature that we struggle, we resist the transforming power of the gospel. And that's why we are having all these problems. Because what Paul is saying to Peter is this. He says, in my, in, my, in my words, he says that you are having problems with the Gentiles, you are having problems with people of other races, but don't you know that the gospel is true, that you are a sinner saved by the continual grace of God? And therefore, if that is true, you don't have the right to feel superior to anybody else or to anything because you don't have a need to. Because now, you've got the love and the attention from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He loves you. He values you. And He says that, even for you, I'm willing to give my life for you. And this is why Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Because you are worth everything to your Creator, to your Redeemer, to your Sustainer. And that is why Paul says to Peter, you are out of line with the gospel. And, and I think there are deep implications for us, for that Church. Because very often, you know, I, and I was, I was preparing the message, I, it dawned on me that had I made use of even my own marriage relationship to enhance my self-worth and value, have I made use even working in the church 
as a pastor, as the leader of this conference, to, to make me feel good and, and worthy of, of, of a valued person. And I, I, I wrestled with that. And I came to one conclusion that I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful what Jesus is doing continually in my life. Because now I can look at my own work, I can look at my church, I can look at my wife and my possessions and everything that I have in that God has blessed me with, they are never my justification. They are never my sanctification. They are never my redemption. They are not my value or my worth. I may use them for the advancement of, of my ministry, but I'm free to use them, not to use them for my own worth and value. And so, so, so you see that how the gospel changes the motivational structure of the heart. It changes your personal identity, your social identity, even your ecclesiastical identity. You know, Martin Luther says something in his commentary with Galatians chapter 2. You know, Martin Luther, one of the reformers uh, during the Reformation, you know, uh, Ellen White in her writings often quote uh, Martin Luther. In Galatians chapter 2, in reference to verse 14, where Paul said to Peter, you're out of line with the gospel. You know what Martin Luther say? He says, the only way to bring this <coughs> deep into the individual is what? is to beat into their heads continually. <laughs> you know, the gospel is like you're pounding. So that is why there is a need for the church community to come together often in singing, in worship, in prayer, in fellowship, in discipleship, in encouragement, in all these things. Why? It's to allow the gospel to pound into our heads deeper, broader, wider, so that it impacts every level of my life and your life and our lives collectively as a church. And I think if you look at the seven-day Adventist message, you know, uh, Paul says uh, in verse 20, Galatians 2.20, he said that I am now, which is our scripture reading this morning, that is the end, almost the end of the sermon, he said, I am now crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But yet not, but Christ lived in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave Himself for me. In the second part of verse 2, it is where our value and worth from heavenly perspective is formed. That God values each of us. Ultimately. And so, this, this verse 20 sounds like a paradox. On one hand, it's like you no longer live. Like, like, like Christ supersedes you. He, he, he is the, the, the front face of your life. But on the other hand, I'm living a life. Not out of that relentless pursuit for value and worth, but out of the gratitude of the one who saved me. And, and that is why, if you, if you bring it, as, as I close, right? If you bring it to the Adventist understanding of the gospel, it, there is even an ecclesiastical future understanding. In Revelation 14, verse 6 to 12, right? This is the three angels' message, the anchor of the Adventist movement. What do we call this gospel? 
we add an adjective to it. You say what? It's the everlasting gospel. What do you mean by everlasting gospel? In other words, what we have shared just now, briefly, today through Galatians 2, this message of God's redemptive plan, that we are justified by faith in Jesus, not by our works. And that deep, broad understanding, this story of God's plan of salvation, His relentless pursuit of each of one to be saved in His kingdom, this story will be shared eternally across all universe that Jesus Christ truly loves each of us. No, I, I, it, it, it dawns on me that what as that church wants to do in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years as we pray and seek that the Lord will find a new shepherd for this church. But in the meantime, nothing stops us to say, Lord, how can this church truly bring the gospel of Jesus Christ? Live it out. Act it out. And out of the fullness of your presence in us, they will impact our neighbourhood, our community, our colleagues, our friends, our neighbours. I was told there was a missionary um, who, who had an old, uh, who was, there was an old missionary who was assigned to, to a far away remote island years ago. And you know, those days they didn't have a lot of money. So he was given an old car. But there's a problem with the car. Well, no, there wasn't much efficient public transport in the area. And this car wouldn't start without a push. So after pondering his problem, he devised a plan. Because where he stayed was near to the school. So he had an arrangement with the school. Whenever he couldn't get his car to start, he would ask the school for permission to get the students to push his car. Remember those were the days when you have your manual transmission? You push your car and then hoping that the momentum will overcome the inertia and the electrical system of the car will just kickstart the car. And, then, and that worked for almost two years. And sometimes he would be very proud to get the students to come and push his car. And at times we would park on top of a little hill so that uh, they would push his car down the little hill and the momentum would come and start his car. And two years later, he was not feeling well. He was supposed to retire. And a new missionary, a young missionary came to take over his place. And he was very proud to share with him his strategy to use this old car. Uh, this is what he must follow. But the young man, first thing he did was that he opened up the hood. He looked at the cables and all this thing. He says, say, sir, say, I believe the only trouble that you couldn't start your car well for the last two years was a loose electrical cable. And so he gave the cable a twist, make sure it's tight, stamp into the car, push the switch, and then the to the astonishment of this old missionary, the engine roared to life. For two years, all these troubles could have been avoided if he had found the right connection. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept this old missionary for putting their power to work. What is stopping the gospel to do its work in your life? What is the missing link? What is missing so that you can plug that 
spiritual cable tighten it and allow the work of God to continually work in your life. And that work has worked with the apostles, has worked with Barnabas, has worked with Peter, has worked with Paul. And it's the same, the power is available for you and I to tap. It's unlimited. You know, I have asked the worship team to end with this song. You may have sung the song many times. It's a more contemporary song. Contemporary in the sense that it's written in recent years. And it's actually based on Galatians 2.20. Let me read just the first paragraph with you and I'll invite you to stand. It says, What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, to this I hope, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but Christ, but through Christ in me. Shall we stand for the closing song as the worship leader leads us? And I ask that, look at the wordings of the song and may it speak to your heart. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. 
Father, this morning, we thank you for the precious lessons written in Galatians 2. And we ask that you help us to bring the gospel to every part of our lives, to every depth of our hearts. Empower us through the transformation of your gospel to impact our relationships with one another, our relationships with money, our relationships with our work, our relationship with ourselves. And Lord, help us to, to live our lives that will truly impact our friends, our neighbours and our colleagues and make this church to live up that message. That we will preach the gospel first to ourselves, beat it into our own heads and offer to the world so that we can do so in love and without harshness and the offering of our gospel be in line with your everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. So bless us and dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.